action looking at the religion of the Babylonians, specifically that of what we have called and what the Bible calls uh, mystery religion or spiritual Babylon, right? Uh, a Babylonian mystery religion, as it's been called. Uh, so we've got several different things. We've got the booklet there for you, and then as well this handout. Uh, this handout will be a, a help to you just to see and get kind of trace what we've already talked about, and we'll wrap that section up tonight, and we'll press on into the passage, looking at the specific rebellion of the people of Babel. Uh, so let's read verses 1 through 9, and we'll jump into things. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, uh, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Now, as we had talked about already, chapter 10 sets us up to show us uh, the growth of human society. But as well, Yes, ma'am. We'll get into that. So you stay tuned, all right? Same bat, same bat time, same bat channel, all right? We'll, no, we'll get to it. Um, here, here's what we're going to look at as we see and we understand chapter 10 is not a directory of every soul that has ever lived, nor of every soul that was living at the time, but rather shows us the table of nations that is going to be developed after, especially, the scattering of the nations, the scattering of the people of Babel. Here we find their unity together, and as we talked about, and as we wrap up here, we're going to see here uh, the examples of this uh, unholy trinity and, and this unholy uh, sort of spiritual religion of which they, they dealt with. So uh, I won't get through this whole handout tonight. This is mostly just for you to look and, and uh, to take home uh, to, to look on your own. But I wanted to give you some examples of this divine feminine worship that we had left off with last week where the emphasis began shortly after this time here in Babel uh, that there, used to, there was a change in the religious culture to the worship of, of goddesses, uh, to the worship of uh, feminist mentality. And much of it is what we're going to see has been traced throughout the day, even up to today. And what we're going to see is that this focus shifts to that of mother and child being worshipped. Notice these. As a matter of fact, you can see it on this handout as well. Uh, on this side, there are, are six examples that show you the depictions of the statues and the, the paintings that are out there. But I wanted to give you a few examples uh, Buddha. Uh, how many of y'all actually knew that Buddha was a real person? Uh, Buddha was a real person, right? Buddha was a real person, and his mother, Maya, uh, are worshipped in Buddhism. Uh, Devaki and Krishna of Hinduism. Sibyl and Addis of Rome. Islam's symbol is a moon and stars, tracing a lineage back through mystery religion to Babel, specifically Semiramis and Tammuz. And so we find that even today, the star, the crescent moon is used, not just in the Muslim world, but even with, uh, uh, even with the Shriners, right? You see it on their hats. We see these things everywhere. And so this stuff is all over our culture, all over the world, that traces back to the fact, 
as we have established already that there are only two religions in the world. There are only two religions in the world. There is Bible Christianity. There is knowing Jesus Christ, Him crucified, buried, and risen again. And then there is everything else. Everything else, while it may claim to have thousands of gods and goddesses and different beliefs and different practices, notice yet they are all one. And notice that it is every other religion that is making the call today, and this is why it should disturb the Christian today, that every religion, including many who claim to be Christian, are saying we must unify together because ultimately aren't we all just the same? We talked about that a bumper sticker of the coexist and how, well, the mentality is that every religion has the same merit. Every religion has the same truth. Every religion worships the same God. No, it does not. They are all fundamentally different. Yet what we find is that every one that is fundamentally different from biblical Christianity is fundamentally the same with one another. That they are practicing what we see as mystery religion. They are practicing what the Babylonians practice. They are practicing what has been traced down throughout the ages But here's the thing about mystery religion as we've talked about. Here's the mystery behind mystery religion. It is this. It remains the same but changes name, changes location, and changes practices while yet being this very same false religion. As we talked about, what does Satan do? He imitates and he infiltrates. This is his ministry. This is what he does. This is his warfare uh, throughout all the world. And so one way of which he has done this is by... Uh, creating the the many religions of the world that go against biblical Christianity, go against God and His foundation of truth, and as well in the unification of all these things against the Lord and His truth. Now, I wanted to give you several examples as well of uh, the uh, unholy nature of these false Trinitarian views uh, of what these many pagan religions and mystery religion does. Uh, If we understand here, Babylon, ancient Old Testament cultures... They worshipped Baal, Ashtoreth, and Tammuz. Now the names changed multiple times uh, throughout, yet we find they trace back to the same group that is being worshipped here as the people of Babel. Then we find the Egyptians worshipped as their main gods. They had many gods, but they worshipped Osiris, Isis, and Horus. Then we find the Nordic cultures, right, or the Scandinavian cultures, the Viking culture, if you will. Who did they worship? Odin, Frigga, and Thor. Now notice in all of these, what do you find an emphasis on? You find the middle one being a mother and the last one being a son. You find this continued concept of worshiping a divine goddess going contrary to God's order and going contrary to God's rule and authority over all things of being the one true God, the true triune God, uh, where, where uh, God is perfect in existence, always has been, always will be, right? Then what else do we see? Uh, the, uh, the Greeks, they worship Zeus, Hera, Ares, and you can trace this all the way through many different religions. And this handout will help you out a little bit with that. Uh, several of those charts will be key in helping you to understand what is taking place there in Babel, but as well as how this mystery religion is traced throughout the world. Now, there's always an emphasis in these things on divine feminine worship, contrary to biblical Christianity and God's divine order. Roman Catholicism today similarly worships Mary, exalting her above Jesus and God the Father. This is mystery religion. And now we find that many of the the Roman Catholic practices are simply taking many of the things that they have done and morphing Christianity and Christian tradition with the religions of the world. And this is why at the forefront of those who claim to be Christian, who are calling for the unification of these religions, are the Catholic Church. This is why you find there in the Middle East, even today, a union between the the Jews, 
the Muslims, and then the Catholics who are representing Christianity, but it is not true biblical Christianity. This is why, as we said, uh, we, we've heard the saying, not all that glitters is gold. Not everything that claims to be Christian is Christian. And so we must try the spirits according to the Word of God. Now, here's what the Word of God tells us about this idea of these pagan cultures. We have to understand that every single culture that is outside of Bible Christianity and the cultural worldview of looking through the lens of a biblical lens, a biblical um, worldview, as we ought to have. Christians ought to have a biblical worldview, right? Now, here's the issue. Not every Christian has a biblical worldview. There are saved folks who do not have a biblical worldview. Why is that? The answer is quite simple. Because they have not learned to study the Bible, to study to show themselves approved, a workman of God, right? Uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, they have uh, been uh, duped by false teachers and false prophets. They have been duped by the combination of biblical Christianity along with the, the mystery religion mentality. Uh, the draw of emotionalism and experience over doctrine and, and Bible, right? God's word is sufficient for every, every manner of our life. And now when we see here, I want to hold your place there in Genesis 11. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17 for a moment. Acts chapter 17. You say, what does this have to do with the Tower of Babel? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Here's what Acts 17 has to do with the Tower of Babel. When we talk about this idea of mystery religion and all these pagan gods and goddesses and this idea of mystery religion being traced throughout all the world, you fast forward to the Greco-Roman world, the world of Paul the Apostle. What do we find in chapter 17? Paul is at Athens, right? Why did he go to Athens? Well, you start off Thessalonica in chapter 17. Things are going good. Persecution comes. Then he ends up at the Bereans, and those folks are studying the Word as best as they know how. They give us an example to be Berean-like in our manner of life, that we are to try everything by the Word of God and to trust that the Word of God is sufficient for every part of our life, not merely just doctrine, but our practice in daily living. Now, here in Acts 17, verse 16, Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now, here's something that describes not merely Athens, but it describes all the Greco-Roman world, and it describes as well the people of Babel. What do we know about the people of Babel? They were given over to spiritual idolatry. And so here we could see if Paul was there in Babel, he would have felt the same as he does here in Athens. Notice what he says. Therefore disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, uh, he seemeth to be a, a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Well, we haven't heard of this before. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. Now, notice this. These philosophers, what are they practicing? They're practicing mystery religion. As we've talked about the past few weeks, mystery religion is simply this. It is a focus on human beings having a spark of God within themselves and the idea of uh, creating and obtaining more and more light and enlightenment and knowledge. This is Gnosticism. This is the root of everything else outside of biblical Christianity. You and I do not rely on Gnosticism or philosophy. We rely on the doctrines of thus saith the Lord. We rely upon the very Word of God. It is our bread of life. Now here's what happens. Verse number 20. For thou bringest strange, uh, strange things to our ears. We would uh, know therefore what these things mean. 
For all the Athenians and strangers which were present spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Anyone today, and you can go ahead and mark it down, anyone that tells you today that they've got a new revelation is practicing mystery religion. They are not practicing biblical Christianity. We do not need a new revelation. We need to obey the revelation that has been given to us. God has revealed Himself to us as we need to know Him and what we need to know about Him, who He is, what He is like, what He's done, what He is doing, and what He is going to do. That is the Bible message. Ultimately, it is found and wrapped up in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know God and if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what God has done and what He's doing what He's going to do, look to Jesus Christ. There is no other answer outside of Him. Now, Here's what happens in verse number 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Here's the issue. Those that practice mystery religion, they are spiritual people, just like you and I. However, the object of what they are putting their trust in is the wrong thing. Notice, you can be very spiritual and still not be saved. You can be, have all sorts of the spiritual answers and philosophical answers and even theological answers and still not be saved. So they are looking for a new revelation. They're looking for new experience. They're looking for something new, 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 new. And then, you ever notice this? We're, we're like this too, maybe not with theology, that sort of thing. Now, some of us may be. Nevertheless, we're often this way. How many of you get a, when you were a kid, let's think back, we got to think back when we were a kid, you got a new toy. That toy was the greatest toy ever. Until you got another new one, right? Y'all remember Toy Story, right? Y'all watch Toy Story? Uh, Tony was talking about Toy Story earlier. And uh, Woody was the greatest cowboy toy ever until Buzz showed up, right? Now think about this. This is exactly how we are. And this is how the Athenians were. This is how those who practice mystery religion or false religion or an imitation of Christianity, they always want something new and they're never satisfied with what God has given and so it's always, I need a new experience. I need a new uh, uh, emotional high. I need a new uh, knowledge. I, I need something new, something fresh. I want you to know, every time we open up the Bible, while it is not a new revelation, it is always a fresh revelation. This is the living, breathing Word of God. It is just as relevant as it always has been, as it always will be. And so this is why it constantly, as we read it and study, it breathes life into our very soul, because it is life to our very soul. Here's what Paul goes on to say. He says, you're too superstitious. You're spiritual. You don't know nothing. He says, for as I pass by, behold, and behold your devotions. Notice that. The people of Babel and the people of Athens are one and the same. They are incredibly spiritual. They are incredibly religious. They are incredibly devoted to their religious practices. They are devoted to their philosophical discussions. They are devoted. Devotion will not save. Only Christ saves. And notice this. You must be born again. The moment you are born again, you are now given a devotion, a love for the thing of which you did not love before, and that is Jesus Christ Himself. Now you have a devotion to Him. There's a reason why we call uh, books that you read every day along with the Bible that give you a, what is it called? A devotional, right? Or this is why you have a time of reading the Bible in prayer. And what would you call it? A devotion time. This is why when we call a spiritual focus about spiritual things according to the Word of God, a time of devotion. Now, here's the issue, though. You can be devoted to the wrong stuff, can't you? Right? Now, you ought to be devoted to the right things, but here's what we find. Paul's about to expose. You're devoted to the wrong things. Here's what he says. I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Let me ask you. 
if you were looking for a church that lined up with your Bible-believing beliefs, would you go to a church that said on the outside, the unknown God Baptist church, or the unknown God community church, or the unknown God... We wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd go, they're off their rocker, right? Keep, it's good. Nope, <laughs> right? Not happening, right? Here's what happens. They've got this altar to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare unto you. Would you worship a God that you do not know? I'd like to think not. If you worship a God, it's going to be because you know them, but here's the issue. They're worshiping a God that they don't know why because they're going, well, we've got to have our bases covered. We might be missing one. Here's the thing is that they're so open to there being uh, this idea of many gods and goddesses and uh, importance of worship and new revelation and new understanding of the world around them that they're willing to worship a God that they do not even have a name for just in case they're out there, just in case they miss them. Now, this is saddening. This is even enraging to the Apostle Paul. He goes, what, what are you doing here? You, you think you're so smart, and as smart as they were, as philosophical and theological and devoted as they were, they worshipped at an altar to a God that they did not know, who not only a God that they did not know, but a God who did not even have hands or feet or eyes or ears or a mouth that could speak or talk or do anything for them. It's like going out here and putting up a pile of rocks and going, this is my God. I don't have a name for it, but I'm going to worship it. Now, if I see anybody, and I'm driving around Carroll County, and I see you guys out, and you're, hey, Pastor Joe, I'm just out here making this dirt mound or this rock mound, and I'm going to worship it today, it's crazy. I'd like to think that you wouldn't do those things, and we would like to think that they wouldn't, but this is what we find, that the fleshly man will always worship, but he'll always worship according to his flesh. Here's what he goes on. He says, you ignorantly worship him, declare unto you. She's says, you wonder who that unknown God is? He goes, I know that unknown God. You can imagine the, the murmuring in the crowd going, you, you know him? We haven't known him. Tell us about him. He says, God that made the world and all things therein. All of their gods and goddesses could not and did not do that. They had a God who made this. They had a God who made that. But they didn't have a God who made everything. Why? Because what we find is there is only one God who made all things, and there is no other God but Him. It says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth. Now that's important. Why? Because for their gods and their goddesses, they have a, a God of the underworld, and that's His only realm. They have a God of the skies, a God of the seas, a God of the sun, a God of the wind, a God of the fire, a God of the earth. Notice, a God for everything. Yet this God, who is unknown to them, is known to Paul because Paul has seen him there on the road to Damascus, bright, shining, who says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? His name is Jesus Christ, the creator of all things. And here's what he says about him. He made him. He, he's created all things. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And he dwelled not in temples made with hands. Why? Because nothing that we make with our hands could contain the glory of God. Nothing in our hands that we make could could contain the presence of God. I think about this. Uh, I was reading uh, this morning on, on my walk, listening to my Bible, and there uh, Solomon finishes the temple, right? 
How many of y'all remember that? Right? Solomon finishes temple. He starts a praying. And, and man, you want to hear a prayer in the Bible. Solomon's prayer dedicating the temple. I mean, it's magnificent. But notice, even in it, he talks about God's hand that built the temple. He goes, yeah, we, we made it, but it's God's hand that made this come to pass. And he even goes and talks about this, that the Lord had this uh, through David, ultimately then through Solomon, to have this temple made where his presence would dwell. But he even asks a question. Wait, not even the question, but he even makes a statement of going, but this place can't even contain all of his glory. As beautiful as it is, as magnificent as it is, as wonderful and dedicated and sanctified and set apart as it is, it can't contain all that God is in all of God's presence. Here, it is very clear that Paul is preaching about the one true Lord. and He says, neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Why? Because all their gods and goddesses, if you didn't worship them, you know what happened to them? They lost power. Let me tell you what's going to happen to you tonight if you don't worship God. He will remain God, and you will be in rebellion. But He will not be affected one way or the other. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God will not be less God because we decide not to worship Him. As a matter of fact, we're just going to give Him a reason to show forth one day that He is God. Because when God judges in righteous judgment, as He will do to the people of Babel, it shows forth that He is God and there is none other. Going on, Paul continues, he says, He doesn't need anything, seeing He giveth life to all. Right? He giveth to all life, rather, and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth that hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Meaning it is God who has determined the, the habitations of the earth. It is God who determined the nations. It is God who set forth the boundaries of the nations and the empires and the people. It is Paul saying it is God who is allowing the Roman Empire to do what it is doing and going as far as it will go. But that is temporary. Why? Because God in His kingdom is forever and knows no boundary or ending. He says that they should seek the Lord. If happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. You want to know how far God away? How far God is away? Right there. But here's the issue: Why does He talk about this feeling? Because these Athenians are blinded by spiritual religion. They are blinded by mystery religion. They are groping in the dark. Is the idea? And Paul says, if they could just feel Him, He's right there, and they'll realize. God, who created all things, who sent His Son and died and rose again, He is right there. He is my only hope. He's all I've got. He's all I need. And here's what we find. The reason why we turn there is because I want us to see just an example of the fact that the foundation of every society, including that of ancient Babel, as seen in Genesis 11, 1-9, is always built upon religion. America, as an empire and a nation, built on religion. Now, that religion has changed and morphed, hasn't it? We think about those who first came over here. Uh, we think about the first folks that coming over here to settle. Who were they? Pilgrims. Okay, we talk about pilgrims. Now, uh, we, when we think about the pilgrims, right, they, they wore the, the funny-looking hats with a buckle on it, and they wore the shoes that were funny-looking with a buckle on it, and I think they had pants that were funny-looking with a buckle on them. They wore a lot of buckles, and they wore a lot of funny things. We know then what else do they do? Well, they gave us Thanksgiving, right? But why did the pilgrims come? Religious freedom. The Puritans begin to come over across into this new world. Why? 
because the belief of the Bible in preaching the true biblical Christian doctrines of the faith that have always been had become outlawed and, and had been shifted out of society. And so they came to simply worship and live for the Lord in this new world. Now, what do we find? Then you fast forward about 100 plus years. We get in about 150 years. We get to a time of revolution. We get to a change, though, as well. Many of our founding fathers were Christians, were they not? I would say this, that our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, our, our amendments, our Bill of Rights, uh, the works, right? Our judicial system is found on Judeo-Christian principles. Would you agree? Right? Biblical principles. However, the issue with this, we've got to understand this, not all of our founding fathers, fathers were Christian. As a matter of fact, most of them were Masonic in practice, mystery religion. They took the, the uh, many great teachings that they liked from the Bible, and they go, this is good for practice, but ultimately we have a higher knowledge. We have our own knowledge. We worship the grand or the great architect. Now, that is mystery religion. So what has happened is you fast forward another 200 plus years, and here we are today. Right? If anything, things have gotten much, much worse. Now there have been revivals. There's been awakenings. There's been much division, much change, much Bible preaching, right? There's still yet God is working in the middle of all this, but yet we find that every society, including our very own, is absolutely religious down to its very core. And the most hardcore of atheists today is the most religious of them all. Every atheist today is absolutely religious. He is devoted. He is philosophical. He is theolo theological. There is no one alive today that does not have a theology. Everyone has a theology, whether it's right or wrong. But everyone has a belief and a system of belief about what they think God is like. Now, as we look at this, spiritual beliefs are the order and operation not merely of individuals' lives, not merely a personal choice, but a collective society. We find that beliefs determine behavior. Theology and what one believes about God determines your politics. Your politics should not determine or come before what you believe about Christ. As a matter of fact, what you believe about Christ, what you believe about theological truth and the doctrines of Scripture should determine your politics, should determine your practical daily life. It should determine where you work. It should determine where you go, what you do, how you spend your time, how you speak, how you act, how you think. Because ultimately, all of these things in our life are merely a reflection about what we think about God. Everything in your life is a reflection and a billboard about what you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan's goal is to divide man from God and to unite man together in rebellion against God. Mystery religion looks and feels spiritual, but it is continuously shifting in a subtle manner to deceive the masses, and so as it has done today. Satan always seeks to imitate and infiltrate, and this is what he has done. Every culture today is absolutely religious and spiritual to its very core, but overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly throughout the whole world, out of the 8 billion plus people that we have and out of the thousands of nations and countries and villages and towns that we've got, the vast majority are practicing pagan, idolatry, mystery, religion, founded here in Babel. Truly founded there in the Garden of Eden with Satan's preaching. Now here as we get into verse 1-4, through four, we see even more so the rebellion of all this. The whole earth here is the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. We're going to see united people here, but before we do, I want to give what Philip says, and it sort of gives us a backdrop and sort of this over, 
uh, over, uh, well, I, let me just say summary, I guess, uh, of what is about to take place. He says, the root cause for the dispersal of the nations was the building of the Tower of Babel, a project which seemingly was under the sponsorship of Nimrod. The building of Babel was intended to signify and promote the unity of the race. There was to be one world, the world's first federation of nations. It epitomized the last for human history begins and ends at Babel, Revelation 17 through 18 as well. We see the collapse of spiritual Babylon. As there was a great rebel standing behind the first Babel, so there will be a great rebel behind the last one. That's going to be the Antichrist. As the first United Nations organization centered everything in a cultural, political, and religious unity, so will the last, and the Antichrist will be the unifier of all of those things. Here in Genesis is man's first attempt to build a society from which God was to be excluded. But God refuses to be ruled out of human affairs, so consequently he came down in judgment upon the scene. How many of y'all have ever heard that God has been taken out of government? How many of you have heard that God has been taken out of the schools? How many of you have heard that God has been taken out of the homes? God has been taken out of all sorts of things. God has not, nor can be taken out of anything. He is God. And when we say phrases like, well, they took God out of schools, they didn't. They can't. God is omnipresent. He knows the motivation and the every molecule of every person alive today. He knows every crack on the asphalt of every playground, of every school. He knows every textbook. He knows everything. God has not been taken out. The issue is that we have chosen as a people to allow Caesar to educate us. We have chosen to go by the textbook of man and not the, the law book of God. That's the issue at hand today. So no, God cannot be taken out of anything because God does whatsoever He pleases. The nations are as a drop in a bucket is what He describes. That He is the one who has the heart of the king in his hands and he turns it about like a river wherever he wants it to go. God is God. And because of that, we trust in his rule. We trust in who he is. Now, I want to give you for just a moment before we get into this any further, I want to read for you Psalm 2. The second psalm is essentially going to be giving us exactly what's taking place here in Babel the attitude of the Babylonians, the, the attitude of Nimrod, the attitude of those who practice mystery religion, but as well the response of Almighty God. Psalm 2 reads, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You ever wondered that? Why do people do what they do? Our people stink. People are sinners. Now here's the thing. Here's the issue. Sinners do what sinners do. Now, we were all fine with Forrest Gump's mama talking about stupid is as stupid does, right? Sinners do what sinners do. I got a pastor friend of mine, and he said it perfectly, and I'm going to quote him here. So, Pastor Ryan Crowder, he's going to be speaking at our conference. Heathen's going to heave, right? That's it. That's what they're going to do. He's going to love that. He's going to think that's epic, right? I got to tell him to watch this. He's going to love that. And here's what we got to see here. They are raging. Why do they rage? He says, the kings of the earth. Who's the kings of the earth? The kings of the earth. Those who are in rule and authority. It's the nimrods of the world. Now all of us today, we would say that those who are in rule politically, most are they're nimrods, right? Now we use that as the nimrods, like oh, they're missing some stuff. And certainly that's true, but nimrod in the sense of rebellious. 
You find me a government today that is seeking to do the will of God. It's not ours. Nor is it any other for that matter. He says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. So they gather up together. Now what do we have? Don't we have that happening today? Y'all ever heard of the United Nations? Think about this. Before the United Nations, did you know that it was our President Woodrow Wilson during the time of the World War I era that founded what was called the League of Nations, which was the predecessor to the United Nations? So it was our idea to unite everybody together. It was America's idea for globalism. It was America's idea. That's not good, is it? He grew up and was born right in my hometown. Well, just outside my hometown. I was born in Waynesboro. He was born in Stanton, so whew, dodged a bullet there. But close enough. Now, now here's, here's what we see. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord. We find that today, don't we? Matter of fact, I'd go ahead and say this. We've seen it in the past 10 years. As a, as a nation, our leaders conspiring against God and His rule. If we, if we don't think that, we've got to look back at the past 50 years of our legislation here in America. What have we seen? 1970, well, 73, let's kill babies. And it doesn't matter. What, what age, doesn't matter in the womb, right? Doesn't matter what stage they're of development, doesn't matter the case, let's kill babies. Then it goes further. Let's redefine marriage. Anybody can get married. That's destruction, right? The two things that make up a home, mom and dad, uh, husband and wife, and then the children, destroyed. You say, well, didn't we just repeal Roe versus Wade? We didn't make abortion illegal. All we simply did was say, states, you make your own decision. We've got to see that over and over. Then let's think, I remember a time too, not so long ago, that the government said, oh, by the way, unless you're an essential worker, you can't leave your home. I remember a time too, not so long ago, where the whole world got together and said, unless you listen to these authorities, we'll lock you up for having church. Pastors getting locked up for preaching Churches facing hundreds of thousands of dollars of fines for gathering. This is Psalm 2. Gather together, conspiring with one another against the Lord and against His anointed. Who is the Lord's anointed? Who? That's right. Christ is the Lord's anointed. Notice this. What do they say? They say, let us break their bands asunder. Let us cast away their cords from us. What does mankind feel in their flesh when they think about God? They think that they are trapped by God. They think that God is out there to simply mock them or ridicule them or to be overlord over them. They miss out on the fact that God loves them, sent His Son to bleed, die, bear the price of their sins and resurrect to give them life more abundant. They miss that completely. They miss the freedom that is in the Lord. They miss the forgiveness that is in the Lord. And they say, we want... Nothing to do with this. It's the same sin that took place with the devil himself when he fell from heaven and the very thing that takes place in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, what are they saying? We're going to break the bands asunder. God's been withholding us from this tree. I'm eating that tree because that serpent said it's pretty good and it's going to open up my eyes to make me wise like God. So it must be good. Uh oh. Things go south quickly. He that sitteth in the heavens, who's that? That's the Lord. He shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. 
Then shall he speak to them in his wrath. I want you to know though, God will one day speak in his wrath to all those who rebelled against him. But do you want to know what he speaks to them today? He speaks love, grace, mercy, truth. He offers them salvation by repentance and faith today. One day, that day will be over, and the day where He will speak only in wrath will come. And like a whirlwind, when God will speak to the nations, they will crumble and fall at His feet. One day, every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then shall He speak unto them in His wrath, and vex them in His sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon mine holy hill of Zion. Where's that? Anyone know where Zion is? It's Jerusalem. This is looking forward at the future that Jesus Christ will reign from there one day. That day is coming. What else does he say? I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, Thou art my son. You ever wondered, Jesus hasn't come yet in the Psalms, and what do we find? Capital S O N. Why is that? The Psalms are not merely poetic, but the Psalms are prophetic. They speak of Christ and they praise the name of Jesus Christ. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Now he turns and he speaks to those kings that are conspiring against him and the rulers that are speaking against him. What does he say? He says, Listen up, you kings. Listen up, you rulers. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Hear what I've got to say. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and ye perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. Here's what we find. We find here in Psalm 2, the exact thing that is happening in the Tower of Babel. A people that is conspiring against God. These united people, as one commentator writes, the descendants of Noah, united by the strong bond of a common language, had not separated and notwithstanding the divine command to replenish the earth, were unwilling to separate. They're more, the more pious and well-disposed would, of course, obey the divine will. But a numerous body, seemingly the aggressive horde mentioned in Genesis 10.10, determined to please themselves by occupying the fairest region they came to. Have you ever noticed that every single one of us wants the best of everything? We want the best home. We want the best garden. We want the best this. We want the best raise. We want the best everything. And there's always something green. The grass is always greener. As we go forth, we see that there is one language that is spoken, which united the people together. We find the importance of that communication is critical for individuals, family, societies. Where there's a breakdown of communication, there is going to be a breakdown within the community. You want to know why the people today are upset about our politicians? It's because the politicians of our day and all throughout the world, they communicate, but not all the truth, not all of a lie, but just enough to where we keep on voting and we keep on participating without ever doing anything much more than that. We're starting to get upset about these things. Why? Because we see the importance of communication because there's a breakdown of communication when I don't know what's going on, when I don't trust what's going on, when I don't trust what I hear. And then think about this. Let's think about it on a microscopic level. Is communication key in the relationship between a husband and a wife? 
Oh, yeah, you better run. You, you bet. Absolutely. Communication is key in any relationship. And this is why we find that as they are united together, what do we find about people when they unite together? Are people stronger together or stronger by themselves? Together. Together. They're stronger. They're more determined. And they become more capable. If I wanted to do a job of moving this pulpit, do you think I could move it? Yeah, all right, yeah. But if I wanted to move it better, what would I do? Tony, Travis, Perry, right? Got, come on up. Any, any able-bodied man, come on up here, right? And then we're going to move this pulpit together. You get this in, I get this in, you get this corner, right? And we're going to move it. And it becomes a whole lot lighter, doesn't it? Now, this is a right, stout, heavy pulpit. Well, you get four, four to six guys around this thing, it's nothing. Now, this is the same thing that takes place with Babel here. They unite together, but notice this. Though they are stronger and more determined and more capable together in their unity together, yet we find that they are as equally as corrupt. Now, as Guzik writes, if we accept the biblical teaching that mankind has a common origin in Adam, then this simply makes sense that there was a time when humanity spoke one language instead of the hundreds on the earth today. Man was designed to communicate with God and one another. Sadly, the sin that permitted, uh, that per, excuse me, that permeated, has led for a greater desire to stay united and communing with one another than communicating with God. They uh, were ecstatic that they could communicate with one another, but they did not want to commune with God. It is a tragedy when you and I are more willing to commune and communicate with one another, but not be willing to communicate with God. If you're willing to tell your problems and your trials and your struggles to another human being, I would hope that you have told those things already to the Lord your Maker, to the Lord your Savior. We find the need for communication. Mankind needs to commune one with another, and ultimately we're designed to commune with the Lord. But they have rejected communion with the Lord. They don't want that. They want it with one another only. We see that we're unsure of what language exactly, because some of you might be going, well, what language were they speaking? Anyone ever wondered that? I know I have. You look, what were they speaking? What language? I don't know. We're unsure of what language exactly, but we can assume that it was an Eastern root language that would develop into the Semitic languages of today being the Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, uh, Arabic, that sort of understanding. But nevertheless, I can tell you, I can tell you the language that they spoke. It wasn't one that you and I would know of of anything today that people speak except for this. They spoke rebellion. That was their language. Let us go against God. And that's what we're going to see as we move further in the passage. Their language is going to unite them together, not merely as a people, but unite them together as a people against God. They will shake their fist at God with this tower, this pyramid that they will make to worship the false deities, including Nimrod and Semiramis and Tammuz and the other gods and goddesses throughout their making and creating. We will find that they will be extremely, not just idolatrous, but immoral in every practice of their society. We find that a united people is often the worst thing that there ever could be. But what else do we find with this? For us tonight, church, I would encourage us the exact opposite. Be united because it's a good thing for Christians to be united. 
it is good that we agree and that we walk together, dear believer. So therefore, in these latter days that we live in, while we see the world seemingly crumbling around us, look around at your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Look around at the local church that seeks to to preach and to teach and encourage and equip you for the work of the ministry in this world today. Find yourself united to the church of God. Find yourself united to Christ and His people, to His body, to His bride. Not in union against God, but in union with God and for His glory. To radiate His beauty and His glory and His work of His grace throughout this lost and dying world that we live in. Let us pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this night. We're grateful that we could look to Your Word uh, for an encouragement, for understanding. Lord, help us to understand more of it. And Lord, to trust You, Lord, that we would be a united people, not against You, but Lord, a, a united people of You, united with You, united with one another, and united against the things that You stand against, and united for the things that You stand for. God, ultimately help us to be a people that trust You, that walk rightly before You, that seek Your will and Your way in all things. Well, we love You. We thank You for this night. We're glad that we can be with You. We're grateful for Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Y'all have a blessed night. We'll see y'all Sunday morning.